0: To the Hope for the Animals podcast, sponsored by United Poultry Concerns. I'm your host, Hope Bohannik, and you can find all our other episodes at our website, hopefortheanimalspodcast.org. And I would love to hear from you with your questions or feedback. My email is hope at upc-online.org. For today's podcast, I'm going to offer a couple of film reviews from movies that I really liked and I want to suggest to you. And then we have the extraordinary Jane Velez Mitchell, who will tell us all about her vegan media projects like Jane Unchained and a new vegan cooking show that she has out, New Day New Chef, and lots more. But first, I want to talk about a couple of documentaries that I saw recently and I love film reviews, especially for documentaries, because I don't have a lot of time and I like to know what I'm getting into with a movie and if it's worth my time. So I'm excited to offer my first film reviews for this podcast, and I hope to do more. I'm going to talk about two somewhat similar movies. They're both similar in theme, and one is called Countdown to Year Zero and the other is Endgame 2050. Both these films are available on Amazon Prime and probably other places as well. So there are so many animal and veg and vegan themed movies lately, it's really hard to keep up. There's a great resource called vegmovies.com, and they have All of these movies listed in one place, complete with trailers and graphic content warnings and even upcoming movies that aren't out. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's really helpful. The first film I want to review is called Countdown to Year Zero, and it's directed by our upcoming guest on the podcast, Jane Velez-Mitchell. The film, it's only about 53 minutes long, which I love. I always feel that documentaries are too long, that that really, they shouldn't be more than about 45 minutes. When you start getting into an hour and a half, two hours, I mean, even if I'm riveted by the subject, it kind of starts to lose me, especially if it's really sad or a difficult subject, uh, or if you're just getting talking heads. So I like the length of this film. I think it's really a good length. It came out just last year in 2019. It's very fast-paced, which I really like. It starts with some alarming ecological and planetary statistics, and right away they start tying these stats into killing animals, both domestic, farmed animals, and wildlife. Jane Velez Mitchell is throughout the movie, and she is very plain talking and helps make it emotional and real. I mean, going beyond the statistics and the studies, she really drives home the urgency of the situation and brings in a raw emotion that I really liked. There are some really great stats and graphics for sure, but The film does what Jane does best, and that's being on the streets, where the action is, you know, during protests and events. There's energy and hope. It's not just boring talking heads throughout, which is what you get with so many documentaries. I feel like this movie was more action-oriented, and I really liked that. It's really an eco and vegan star-studded film with Jane Goodall and Sea Shepherd's Captain Paul Watson, uh, actress Alicia Silverstone from Clueless, Earthling Ed, vegan rapper Gray, um, the musician Moby, and some amazing youth activists like Genesis Butler and Greta Thunberg. The cool thing is, though, that it's not just sitting down and having a talk with these people like so many documentaries. Jane was ingenious, and she filmed them when they were speaking at large rallies and crowds and events. And I really loved that because the energy was up, and you felt like you were really there, that you were seeing them and being inspired by them. So I, I really loved that. Dr. Silesh Rao, who has been a guest on this podcast, he produced the film and is throughout the movie and puts forth this beautiful vision of a vegan world by 2026. And he talks about creating a new model of normalized nonviolence, as he puts it, and that we right now have a system of normalized violence that is destroying us. And he's calling for a system of normalized nonviolence. And I, I really thought that was so beautiful. There is some graphic imagery. There's animals in slaughterhouses going to slaughter on the conveyor belts, hanging upside down, that sort of thing. But they don't stay on it long, and it moves through pretty quickly. But it is throughout. And if you're sensitive to that, just, you know, be aware of that. I mean, right within the first four minutes, you see pigs being beaten and dragged. So it's certainly present throughout the movie. But of course, it's important for it to be there if someone has never seen that kind of footage before. So I'm glad it's there. And it's not a lot. It's just kind of sporadic. So in the middle of the film, Silesh takes a team to Costa Rica. So we get a nice change of scene and some beautiful moments in the Central American rainforest and the connection to animal agriculture's impact on the entire world. They went to restored forests that used to be cattle ranches, and it was just a really nice travel interlude. You know, they talked a lot about the coming extreme weather events and that they're happening right now and I can attest to that. I live in northern California and we just experienced the most intense and horrible wildfire season and and I've lived here in northern California my whole adult life. I've lived here for 30 years and we have a wildfire season every year, so you know that's not unusual. However, the last five or six years, it's just been unprecedented. It's been so horrible. And this last one, there were more acres burned than ever before. It was so massive that the smoke enveloped the entire state for like a month. We had ash on everything, ash on our garden, on our cars. The smoke was just filling the air. We all downloaded air quality apps on our phones so that we could see what the air quality is and it would just be day after day hazardous, hazardous air quality. I actually got sick from it. I was dizzy and had headaches for about 10 days straight when it was really bad and we weren't able to open our windows or go outside for like a month, for weeks. So I am actually living in it. I just experienced directly climate disruptions effects, and it was horrible. And it scares me for our future. So uh, I'm so glad that these films exist and are hopefully going to inspire people to do something to make change in their lives. So I'll end talking about this first film, Countdown to Year Zero, with a quote from the film from Dr. Silesh Rao. He said, When the earth is ravaged, a new tribe of people shall come onto the earth from many colors, classes, creeds, and who by their actions and deeds shall make the earth green again. I thought that was a really beautiful quote. So another film that I think is worth reviewing and endorsing, it has a similar theme, and it's also available on Amazon Prime. It's Endgame 2050. Now, this one is longer. It's a full hour and a half. And the first 15 minutes are really crazy. It was really unexpected and kind of intense. So, they created this dramatic representation, like a mini movie within the documentary with actors, you know, actually playing parts in this movie. And so, In this little mini movie, there was a newscast and it was from 2050, like that this was set in 2050. And there were these massive methane explosions from the trapped gas underground, and the melting permafrost was causing the gas to release and explode on the surface. And it was just like blowing up roads and towns. And the newscast was talking about the fishless oceans and how this was predicted 40 years ago. And they talked about food and water rationing and riots. And the whole time, There's this group of people watching the news report, and they are patients in a psychiatric ward, and they're getting increasingly agitated by the news. And all I could think while watching this is, yeah, that's going to be me if I make it to 2050 and all these ecological disasters happen. I mean, and I I don't mean to make light of mental illness at all, but but it certainly felt like yeah, this could drive us all crazy. And that's exactly what they were kind of trying to portray. So there was much more to this dramatization but I'm not going to give it away it would it would be a spoiler so I'll I'll just I'll leave it at that but after this short segment then we get into your typical documentary with expert talking heads I mean that's kind of the rest of the documentary although it's very well done it certainly then goes into feeling like your regular documentary And it goes into some good, clear explanations about how we're in the sixth mass extinction event and humans are causing it with biodiversity loss and habitat loss. And they connect it to animal agriculture as being the number one use of the most viable land on earth. And that should be natural habitat for wildlife and flora. They They get into ocean acidification, which is very important and not talked about enough. So something that both films talk about and that I didn't even realize is how half the world's oxygen is produced by plankton, the plankton in our oceans. And plankton are... This diverse collection of organisms that live in large bodies of water, they're, of course, the crucial food source for many small and large aquatic animals, fish and whales. And it's really concerning that the plankton are dying off in mass amounts. And this is acidifying the oceans and reducing the oxygen content in the oceans and on Earth one expert in in-game 2050 said every second breath we take comes from the ocean so that was really powerful and fascinating so as far as graphic imagery there's not much but there is some certainly and there isn't really anything till about 20 minutes in, there is this moment where you see a rhinoceros whose horn has been cut off. So like half his face is gone, and he's still alive and stumbling around. It was really intense and very affecting to me, even though it was just a few seconds. So at about 40 minutes in, there is an important section on fishing, but it had a lot of video of mass fish in distress, you know, on the decks of boats, out of water. So that was disturbing to me, but it was a very important segment, and I'm always grateful when fishing is included in the conversation they get into talking about plastics in the ocean and there is a really moving segment around 35 minutes in where they show all this marine life and sea turtles and birds tangled in and strangled by plastic debris. It's really sad. Animals drowning and caught in nylon fishing nets. It was Very heart wrenching and and really moving and my mind went immediately to my quest for a plastics free household. And what else can I do to reduce my plastic. So it was very affecting to me and a really powerful uh, part And I was surprised at about 45 minutes in, they tackled human population growth and really went there with our excessive population of 7.5 billion people now. I was really happy to see this because it seems like this issue is really one of the only other issues that is more taboo than vegan in the environmental community. I mean, even more forbidden to mention than veganism. So I was really glad to see an entire section on it. People, they only like to talk about consumption and say that it's about distribution of resources and consumption patterns. They don't want to touch on the population issue, but the exponential growth that is happening and that this movie points out is really alarming. We're gaining 80 million people every year. It's unsustainable and growing rapidly, the population. So I was really glad to see that this movie was brave and talked about it, It had a whole section on it. So that was great. So at about an hour in, we have had only environmental information. Like it's all been about environmental impact of animal agriculture and and other environmental issues. Then there was this really powerful and heart-wrenching story from the main commentator. She's been kind of the host throughout, and she talks about her experience while filming at a slaughterhouse about this one white cow, and it was probably... One of the most moving and powerful stories I have ever heard about an individual animal and uh, a connection someone had with that animal at a slaughterhouse. And it left me in tears. I mean, I was bawling. And I wish I could take just this five-minute segment and have it as a short piece to share. I think that this one moment with this white cow, it, it was worth the entire movie. So wrapping up and looking at the two films, I would say that Countdown to Year Zero is much more hopeful. They show Silesh's vision of manifesting a vegan world, and they take us to these action groups at a conference where people are working on creating solutions and solving the problems. It's, it's got a clear message of how we can help going vegan. In game 2050, well, it's more apocalyptic and dire and it's long, but I think we need both. I think the situation calls for both. We need to be realistic about how dire the situation is, like in Endgame 2050, and we have to have hope that we can fix it, like in Countdown to Year Zero, so it's not overwhelming and we don't become immobile. So I really like both films, and I would recommend both films. I would say if you're going to watch them both, end with Countdown to Year Zero, because it's a bit more hopeful. So, I hope you get a chance to watch these two movies. There's really a wide selection of vegan themed movies out now. And, you know, watch them, watch them with others, share them on social media. Films can be a life changing experience. So, veg out with a veg movie tonight. Okay, I'm going to bring in our very special guest now. We have Jane Velez Mitchell with us, and she is the founder and editor of Jane Unchained News, a nonprofit social media news network reporting on animal rights and veganism and health and climate change. Jane Unchained has launched a vegan cooking series called New Day, New Chef, streaming on Amazon Prime and also public television stations around the US. We're going to talk a little about that. Uh, The network also just launched the show Support and Feed Edition on Amazon Prime to promote vegan restaurants that are feeding those in need during the pandemic, which is really cool. And Jane has won numerous awards and accommodations in her years of high-profile animal rights work. You may remember her from her own show on HLN's CNN uh, Headline News for six years, where she ran a... weekly segment on animal issues. I remember that. I certainly remember that. And I would cheer at the TV every time she came on. Uh, She's been a hero of mine for a very long time. And I'm just honored to have her joining us today. Welcome to Hope for the Animals podcast,
1: Jane Velez Mitchell. Well, thank you for having me, Hope. And you're my hero too. So right back at you. Oh, that's awesome. All right, great. Well, let's get
0: into it. And I would love to ask what got you started in uh, your journey on veganism? What got you to go vegan? When did you go vegan?
1: How did you get into animal advocacy? Tell us about your journey. Well, actually, it begins with my mother, who was born in 1916 on the beautiful island of Vieques, which is part of the Puerto Rican Commonwealth. And she had a pet pig. She thought the pig was her friend, her even brother. Uh, love this pig, but the pig was a food pig and it was slaughtered for food. And when she came home and discovered that, she literally fainted as a young girl. And when she woke up, she shunned meat from that point on. So she came to New York uh, in 1928, just in time for the start of the Great Depression. She formed a very successful Latin dance troupe called the Anita Velez Dancers, that played uh, Caribbean, United States, Canada, And uh, she was the last of the vaudevilles, uh, actually playing the Palace Theatre in the Five of Days, when they used to have live performances in between the movies. And um, she met my dad, who was an Irish-American advertising executive, and he was a meat-eater, but he converted pretty much. We actually, growing up, thought we were vegetarians in a way, but we were pescatarians. We ate fish, we ate eggs, we ate dairy. So, we were at least aware that the chicken wings don't fall from trees. And I don't remember ever a chicken <laughs> wing being brought into the house. We were on the journey. You know, I, I credit my parents a lot for, uh, my dad actually would read the mucusless diet as he got older. He got really into macrobiotics and that was a bit of a problem for me as a kid, because I would look at things like snow cones. And I would say to myself, when I grow up, I'm going to have all the snow cones that I want. And, um, <laughs> So, yeah, uh, we were sort of on the journey and then uh, I went uh, I grew up in Midtown Manhattan, right across from Carnegie Hall, 57th and 7th. Can't get more Midtown. It was pretty much like the center of the universe. Mm. And uh, it was a blessing and a curse. I mean, I had tremendous uh, exposure to uh, culture, the Metropolitan Museum. The Museum of Modern Art was a five minute walk. In any case, the downside was that it wasn't a place where you could run and play. My dad would say, you have the biggest backyard in America, Central Park. And I'm like, Dad, give me a break. I can't go there by myself. I'd get mugged. (laughs) (laughs) So I went to New York University. I graduated with a degree in broadcast journalism, and I started my journalism career in 1977. I had my first job was Fort Myers, Florida. Then I worked in Minneapolis for two years. Then I worked in Philadelphia. It was in Philadelphia that somebody sent me a videotape of uh, infamous head injury experiments on primates. I believe they were baboons. I remember that. One of the most horrific videos I've ever seen. And I was just, I was devastated and appalled. And I, I said, this is evil. This is evil and we need to do something about it. But I was just a kind of a cub reporter. I wasn't an investigative reporter. I didn't see any way to do anything about it at the time. And uh, these are very powerful institutions doing these torture exercises. Uh, Then I went to New York City, back in my hometown, uh, literally working down the block or up the block from where I grew up at uh, WCBS. I was there for eight years. And um, I was a reporter and weekend anchor, and then I got a job in LA as a weekday anchor at KCAL working at Paramount Studios, which was, honestly, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I ended up in LA. I've always loved LA. I love the sunshine, the ocean. uh, um, It's just a happy place for me. And uh, I was working at Paramount Studios. I just, it was, to this day, it was the best job I ever had. had <laughs> a, a, a good parking spot on the Paramount lot. I was walking past people who were, you know, movie stars and doing my local news with a very famous anchor, Jerry Dunphy. And Disney had bought the station, so they had a deep pockets. They were doing amazing things. We won a lot of awards, Golden Mike Awards, etc. Anyway, in walks Howard Lyman, who is a fourth generation cattle rancher turned vegan activist. And he's the guy who went on Oprah after, he got very sick. He ran this big cattle operation. He got sick. This is my understanding. And he went into surgery. As he was going into surgery, he made a pact with God. God, you get me out of this. I'll spill the secrets of my really horrific, torturous industry. He survived. He went on Oprah. And she famously said, that just stopped me cold from eating another burger. Right. And then the cattlemen sued her. And he became a cause celeb, famous uh, for that time period. And I believe it was at that time when he came into the studio. It was This is 23 years ago. So it's a little fuzzy. I, I suppose one day I could sit down and do a lot of research and find out exact date he walked into the studio. But <laughs> um, anyway, he was, uh, I know it was after I got sober because I'm 25 years sober and I'm a recovering alcoholic. Oh, and I'd like to say that I wouldn't be doing any of this if I hadn't gotten into recovery. You know, I also came out as gay. So getting sober is the first thing, and I have to always put my sobriety first because I won't be an effective activist if I don't. I did an interview with him, and he had revealed all the horrors of the industry. And afterwards, he and his publicist, (laughs) a very fierce activist I would later learn named Mar Nealon, they came up to my cubicle, and they said, we hear you're a vegetarian. And I said, yes. And they said, do you still eat dairy? And I kind of hung my head because they had just revealed all the horrors. (laughs) <laughs> and I just very shamefaced said, yes. And then they pointed their finger right at my nose and they said, liquid meat. <laughs> that was the moment I went vegan. Wow. And about a month later, I was at a restaurant and somebody had, the, the chef had put cheese on my salad by accident. And I bit into it and I spat it out because the reason why rehab is at least 28 days it takes at least 28 days to change any habit at least sometimes a lot more. But in those 28 days in that one month that I hadn't been eating dairy, my taste buds had totally changed and I found dairy repulsive when I used to love it. I love nothing more than dairy, you know, cheese or whatever. So it only takes a few weeks for you to change your taste buds along with getting sober and coming out as gay, going vegan is the best decision I ever made. In fact, you know, they're all three really important decisions, and they're they're very interconnected because when you get clarity as a sober person, you start re-examining your life and you start asking yourself, am i is, are my behaviors in value with my uh, beliefs? So tell us about how you got started doing Jane Unchained. after I was uh, a local news anchor and reporter for many years, I jumped to syndicated television. I worked at a uh, show called Celebrity Justice, which is the precursor to TMZ, FYI. It was a tabloid show. And uh, the rules for getting a story on the air were you had to have celebrity and justice. So in my head, as a budding activist, uh, I called PETA and I said, you know, the celebrities, they have the causes. Let's do some celebrity justice. And we got a lot of stories on that were, I mean, I even interviewed Robert Redford because he was concerned about the uh, impact of military sonar on the whales. Mm. So um, that was a, that was when I was really starting my activism. And that was uh, just a gift to be able to do all those stories. Then when I ended up covering the Michael Jackson trial, and I was getting a lot of national attention, Larry King Live, and various other shows, and then I ended up filling in for Nancy Grace, and then getting my own show. When I got my own show on CNN Headline News, I asked them, would you mind if I do an animal segment once a week? And they thought about it, and they said, no. Maybe they thought it was going to be pet adoptions, but I started doing hardcore animal rights. <laughs> yes, you them. did. It was <laughs> wonderful. Crates and having all the leaders of the different organizations on, and also showcasing the budding of uh, vegan foods. I had Josh Tetrick on, uh, who... Uh, was pushing Just Mayo and just starting out. And he even said, I, I appreciate the fact that you gave me this video that I was able to go around and shop Just Mayo with. So I was really excited about that. I did it for six years. And then the show had a nice run. It wrapped up and I left on great terms. They gave me my social media. And I even went and talked to an executive. And she said, look, your passion is clearly animals and animal rights. Why don't you just do that? So she was the one who gave me the idea. I said, okay. I felt very empowered. like yeah, let's do this. I started going to protests. And in fact, uh, my girlfriend at the time, who's still a dear friend, Donna, that snarky vegan girl said, Jane, you're unchained. You can go to protests. Cause you know, when you're a reporter, (laughs) you can't go to protests as a reporter. You can go to cover them when you're assigned, but you can't participate when you're a reporter. I immediately noticed, okay, there's something missing here. The people, it was in New York, it was freezing. People are going to extreme lengths for these protests. They're not documenting it. And because it was so cold, people really weren't paying that much attention. I said, now I can start documenting these and doing what I used to do every Friday. I'm gonna do that just in general and put it on my social media. So that's how Jane Unchained started. I started with a GoPro camera. Then after moving to LA, uh, I decided to turn it into a nonprofit because it was a money pit. So I said, people Mm. don't understand in this culture, Either you're making money or it's a nonprofit. Our mission is a vegan world, and uh, we want to do as much as we can to normalize veganism so veganism becomes the norm. And it's not that we don't cover other issues. We do when they're trying to destroy the wetlands here in LA, as they are, or the terrible animal experimentation, but the vast majority of animals are being. Ah, uh, tortured and killed for food. And so that's our focus. As part of that nonprofit that we were shooting videos, I started realizing, wait a second, I'm one person. There's there's things going on all over the world. The movement was exploding as Jane Unchained got started. You have the Cubes of Truth. You have the Save movement. You have Veg I mean I'm on the board of Veg Fest LA. I used to go MC that when it was World Fest. It was like the only Veg Fest in town. And now there's so many of them. So I realized we need a lot of contributors. So I started uh, allowing citizen journalists, you know, inviting them. This is a team effort. This is not me. This is like 70 people around the world going live, working super hard, putting together great recipes. So then Facebook Live came along. And I said, Hallelujah, because I was staying up very late almost every night editing stories editing is a very slow process. There were too many stories. I was getting overwhelmed. Great. Now we can just go live. And so we started uh, enabling these citizen journalists to go live. And people go live all the time at uh, uh, veg fest, at conferences, at galas. And uh, we've been live with you, Hope. We've interviewed you. And yeah. one of the things we did was we know I, actually this started because i was out on my deck i had invited some friends over and they just happened to be glamorous friends not all my friends are glamorous uh but it was katie clary who's from america's next top model and simone reyes who had her own reality show and these are incredible activists she's also a country music star and we were doing a cookout and vegan different vegan burgers i had purchased and so I wanted to see if the live video worked on my deck where we were doing this, and sure enough, it did. And I started going live, and I couldn't believe the response. What's Kate eating? Which one does she like? Which one does Simone like? Da 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 da. I realized that there was a lot of interest in this food segment, so that's how Lunch Break Live was born. And so every single day since we discovered Facebook Live, which was right after it started, we have been doing a vegan cooking show at twelve thirty Pacific. That's 2.30 Central, 3.30 Eastern, every single day, seven days a week where we showcase a different vegan meal. And to, to just prove the incredible variety of vegan cooking, we've never repeated a recipe once. Not because it's intentional, that would be too complicated to try to arrange, just by accident. Nobody's ever done the exact same recipe twice. That's how much variety and versatility there is. So we have incredible... I don't like to start naming names because what happens is I leave somebody out. There's so many incredible people who are giving their energy and their time. Uh, we just would love to invite everybody to be a part of this. That's why I just created something as part of Jane Unchained called Plant Based Neighbor. And it's a new app. Right now it's in beta testing as a website, plantbasedneighbor.com. And it aims to connect all vegans around the world and basically you sign up you put in your photo we also add vegetarians because we want to give people the we want to embrace people on the journey right and i for example was vegetarian before i went vegan so um we have two categories vegan and vegetarian it's an app where you sign up you put your picture and uh it connects you with vegans in your immediate vicinity in your zip code but you can also reach out to vegans around the world. And you should put your profession in because we're trying to create the veganomy. So for example, if I want a hairdresser, I don't want to give money to a hairdresser who's going to go out and buy a steak with that money. I'd rather find a vegan hairdresser. And in fact, I have a vegan hairdresser. I would love to get to see her one of these days. (laughs) Right? My hair hair is going to be declared a national forest in a couple of days. (laughs) Um, But um, I have a vegan handyman. I have a vegan piano teacher. Mm, I have a vegan bookkeeper for Jane Unchained, who's also an activist, and my accountant is vegetarian, and we're working on him. So uh, (laughs) it's called the veganomy. Now, a lot of things you need to spend money on, you need to have people in your vicinity. You can't get a hairdresser in Berlin if you're in Los Angeles. So by everybody signing up, they can connect with vegans in their neighborhood Emotionally and psychologically, that's a, a boon. I know when I'm sitting here and there's the death smell of the cookout from a nearby neighbor, it gives me, it, it's heartwarming to know that another neighbor it agrees with me mm, and maybe yeah. I could invite them over for a vegan cookout, mm, right? Yeah, yeah, And so it's from a psychological perspective, uh, it's very important to know that we're not alone and that there are others who agree with us. And so this is going to be, a it's it's in development. I urge everybody, just go to Plant-Based Neighbor, sign up. By the way, you can also sign up your organizations. So organizations can sign up and put their organization up. Uh, It's growing and you can post videos, you can post photos. I'll give you an example. I asked my friend who lives in downtown LA. I said, will you please go on Plant-Based Neighbor? He said, "Ah, I don't think so. I don't think I'm going to find anybody. This is downtown LA. I said, just do it. He called me back. He goes, 162 people are in my neighborhood who are vegan. I said, yeah. That's, now you're talking.
0: Yeah, that's a fantastic idea. It's, it's kind of like a vegan next door which is so great. And, and, and oftentimes people do feel really isolated when they go vegan. They don't feel like they have the social support. So this could really be helpful for them to find that connection in their area. I love that. Thanks. Sign up to plantbasedneighbor.com. Absolutely. So I want to ask you about the project, New Day, New Chef, which is a vegan cooking show on Amazon Prime Video that is put on by Jane Unchained News. And I, I've i watched a couple of them and they're really interesting. I, I don't cook and I actually don't like to cook. And I like to tell people that because you really, you don't have to cook as a vegan. I've been a healthy vegan for 30 years and I barely and rarely cook. So it can be done done, just to let everybody know, but there's a lot of people that do love to cook and want to learn to cook vegan. So it's really awesome that you have this show and there's different guests and celebrity chefs every episode. So tell us a little about this show, New Day, New Chef.
1: So I'd always had this dream to have a cooking show on TV because I spent 38 years on television. And I had actually pitched the Food Network about 20-some years ago, hey, let's do a vegan cooking show. And uh, you know where that went, nowhere. One of our cooking shows on Amazon Prime is working with Maggie Baird, who just happens to be Billie Eilish and Phineas's mom. And uh, she's an actress herself and an artist, just an incredible person. They're a whole vegan family. And she started this brilliant concept, support and feed. We donate to supportandfeed.com. Supportandfeed.com gives money to vegan restaurants, New York, LA and Philly, but you can do this in any town. They have an instruction manual how you can do it. And then support and feed picks up the food and brings it to hungry children and hungry seniors and hungry nurses and doctors, people who are struggling right now. And so it's brilliant because it's keeping the vegan restaurants alive uh, during this crisis that is not going away. And so um, I, when I heard about that, I was just taken with it. And um, we were trying to figure out how to do a new season in the pandemic. You know, Hollywood is, to a large degree, shut down because it's so hard to, to film when you're trying to social distance. That love scene is getting a lot more complicated. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? So Aime, getting back to Eamon, he's so brilliant. Our producer from Inspired, Eamon McChrystal. He created a contactless studio with six robotic cameras. I co-hosted with celebrity co-hosts from my home. So we had Leslie Nickel, who is uh, the chef, plays the cook on Downton Abbey. She's a vegan. We had Elaine Hendricks, who's a great vegan, who is uh, Alexis Carrington on Dynasty. We had Emily DeRavin, who's plant-based, and she is from the series Lost. We had... Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. Again, I'm leaving people out, and I don't want to upset anybody. Were, by- were these all on uh, New Day, New Chef? New Day, New Chef: Support yes. and Feed Edition. That's a oh, the Support and edition. Feed Edition. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, yeah. So Got it was it. shot during the pandemic, and we have another season coming up in October with incredible chefs, Matthew Kenny, and uh, all sorts of other. You know, Matthew Kenny is one of the most brilliant uh, restaurateurs, entrepreneurs, and chefs in the world. And uh, so he's showcased. So we're, there's a lot of them. Once you watch New Day New Chef, you can watch New Day New Chef support and feed. So. You have also produced a really
0: powerful documentary called Countdown to Year Zero. And uh, Silesh Rao was involved. Uh, He has been on the podcast as well. And it's a feature-length documentary at about under an hour. And it's also available on Amazon Prime Video. And I've I've watched it twice now. I rewatched it this weekend. And it's really dynamic and fast paced, which I can't say for most documentaries. I think it's really well done. And I love that you. you, yeah, absolutely. And I love that you're focusing in on climate disruption because this is such a critical aspect of what we're facing. As a species and as a planet, and I actually started my vegan journey in the early '90s as an environmentalist. My first activism was with Earth First! and uh, protecting the old growth redwoods in Northern California, and we knew the connection of the of climate change back then uh, we knew that animal agriculture was incredibly destructive uh, on so many levels it was really through the environmental community that i went vegan so I love seeing what's happening now in that environmentalists are finally recognizing and embracing veganism. Vegans are joining in with the climate marches. The the young people understand the importance of this connection. And and it's all coming together. These, These natural allies of these two movements are finally coming together. So it's really awesome to see. And that's what this film focuses on, Countdown to Year Zero. There's incredible people in it, Jane Goodall, Paul watson greta thunberg and of course jane velez mitchell so please tell us all about countdown to Year zero
1: well i was at the rowdy girl sanctuary in texas for a festival that that cattle ranch turned vegan animal sanctuary was having and this guy gets on stage and it was a huge field and i think this is a really important example of why what we do at jane unchained is so important because not that many people were listening because it was a very fun event. And people were eating and they were shopping and they were scattered at all these tents. And this guy's talking and I was going live. And what he said blew my mind. And it was Dr. Silas Rao. Yeah. And uh, he's a PhD from Stanford, a systems analyst. He was instrumental in the acceleration of the internet speeds. He, he's a genius. That's what I personally feel. And he starts talking and he says, we're gonna create a vegan world and we're gonna do it by 2026. And we know why we have to do it. Uh, We know when, by 2026, uh, because that's when, at the rate we're going, we'll have no wildlife vertebrates essentially left on this planet because we're destroying them all, we're killing their habitats for animal agriculture. The only thing we need to figure out is how. When he said that, I was like, hallelujah. Finally, somebody is saying what we want to achieve. If we are too meek to even state our goal, how are we going to achieve it? We want a vegan world. And in order to achieve anything, you need a buy win. I know that as a a reporter. Until I have a deadline, it doesn't get done. And the (laughs) deadline propels you. So I was just taken with his message. So at some point, he invited me at... And a bunch of other people, I think it was an email that went out and said, hey, we're going to Costa Rica and we're going to look at a cattle ranch that has been reforested, which is really the primary thing that needs to happen. Most of the land that we are using for either cattle grazing or to grow food uh, to feed farm animals. So most of the land that's being used in this world is being used not to feed people, but to feed farm animals or in the process of grazing. So that is the big problem because trees absorb carbon. So this is happening in the Amazon right now. They're burning down the Amazon to create cattle grazing land. And they often say logging, but that's really a byproduct. They're clearing the land for cattle grazing. Right. So again, the best thing you can do to save the planet is to stop eating animals and their byproducts. It's really that simple. So anyway, I was down there with him and uh, somebody had asked me to videotape him. Uh, for a possible documentary they were doing. I said, of course. So I grabbed my one, well, actually I actually have two good cameras, a Canon, because usually we're just doing the phone. And uh, I started videotaping. And being the addictive personality that I am, I couldn't just videotape a little bit. That's very hard for me. I'm very black and white. I could do something at not at all or do it really <laughs> over the top. Uh-huh. So I just started videotaping him. And everything that came out of his mouth was like a gem. And I just kept videotaping and videotaping and putting a camera, you know, into the faces of everybody. It turned out we had 12 people, including Dr. Round, his wife. And and we ended up coming up with a, uh, like a declaration of what the vegan world stands for, almost like a new constitution. And uh, it was very powerful. And we were in this gorgeous place, one of the most biodiverse regions of the world. It was just amazing. It was just a magical experience to be there. And uh, I ended up deciding to do a documentary about Dr. Rao because I think he really offers the solutions. Instead of us just beating our chests. he's like, let's plan what needs to happen in order to create a vegan world. Let's do it the way engineers do it and create take all the issues that need to be resolved and break them down into different categories and assign task force groups to those categories and then subcategories. And this is how they deal with problems in the engineering world. I was like, great. And then, of course, you were involved. We were all there. And yeah. um, at Vegan World 2026, trying to come up with answers and, and asking the right questions. He doesn't have the answer to how we are going to create a vegan world. What he has is the answer to what is it that we need to do to create a template in order to start constructing a vegan world. I really feel Countdown to Year Zero makes the environmental case that the best thing we can do for the environment is to move away from animal agriculture, to stop eating meat, to stop eating dairy. and It's a message that I think that environmentalists are starting to get. Yeah. but there's still a long way to go. There's still a lot of resistance that I have personally encountered where I've been told to basically shut up about it at environmental events. So I did the documentary as a way of trying to express, make the case, make the case that you can turn off all the light bulbs and turn off your faucet while you're brushing your teeth. But if you do not move away from animal agriculture, you really can't call yourself an environmentalist. Or a conservationist. So, a really
0: moving part of the film are the pig vigils, where people are giving water and comfort to the pigs on the on the transport trucks that are bound for slaughter, and it's it's really heartbreaking to watch. And I know that that you've been to a lot of these vigils. What has been your experience there with these pig vigils? What's it like? And yeah, uh, you know, tell tell us a little
1: about that. Well, uh, it's very interesting. My mother's name was Anita and she lived to almost 100. And when she died, shortly thereafter, I met Anita Krines. And she is my hero. She's the founder of the Save Movement. And uh, she's just an extraordinary visionary as well. And she's in Toronto. She was the one who started the whole Save Movement. And basically she was walking her dog and she saw some pigs in a truck and she made eye contact and she happened to be a student of Tolstoy. And Tolstoy says, when you see suffering, you have a moral obligation not to turn away, not to ignore it, but to get closer, see if you can help. And even if you can't help to bear witness. Mm. And she made a pact with that pig and said, I will bear witness. And then uh, it grew. She was arrested for giving water and comfort to a pig. It became a big, big global story. And uh, then these vigils started popping up all over the world. There's almost a thousand of them now. And the goal is to have a vigil at every slaughterhouse in the world. And uh, the one here near Los Angeles, right outside downtown is the largest one. It happens twice a week, actually. And even now during the pandemic, there's social distancing ones. I haven't gone to ones during the pandemic. I'm self-isolating, but I've gone to many, many prior to that. And uh, it's heartbreaking, but it needs to be seen. And so we go live. We have a rotating group because it is so emotionally difficult. We don't have one person go. Uh, My other heroes are people who go every week and who organize this. It's a very difficult task. So we rotate and we try to show what this is. Truth, Truth bomb, if you might call it that, Hmm. to people who might be watching on Instagram or Facebook and uh, just scrolling through. And then they see that. Because once you see these babies, they're six months old approximately when they're sent to these torturous. I mean, the whole thing, the long drive where they're thirsty and they have no water and they're packed in together and sometimes they're foaming at the mouth or in the deep cold of winter, they arrive with frostbite. It's morally wrong. You cannot look at this and say this is okay. And that's why people don't want to look at it. They don't want to see it. In fact, I tried to take a friend of mine who's not vegan, a neighbor I've known for many years, and she said, I don't want to watch a snuff film. I I just said, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Wow. wow. Yeah, wow. We have a lot of work to do. Like, you know, it's very important for us to get out of the vegan bubble and to go out and see because while things are changing they're not changing as rapidly as they need to change. You know, when this coronavirus hit, I was trying to process it and figure out what it's like. And uh, of course I talked to Dr. Rao and he said, cause he's a big picture guy. He said, this is nature doing an intervention. Nature is saying to the human race, go to your room. You've been bad. Think about what you've done. Come out <laughs> more evolved or you're finished. You're done as a species. And when he said that, it made it all clear. It was like, yes. This is part of the process. Nature is accelerating the changes that have to happen.
0: That's really powerful. So true, I fully agree. So Jane, since you have had so much experience and knowledge around media, I wanted to ask you about the importance of media in animal activism. And can you give some thoughts on why, you know, media is really crucial for outreach, why social media influencers are so important right now? I started doing activism in the 80s and 90s. We didn't have social media. So it was very different back then. We were begging the major and local news outlets to give us some kind of coverage. But now we have the power in our own hands. So I'd love to hear about how you, know, how you feel about that and maybe even offering some tips.
1: Well, I would tell everybody your phone and your laptop are your most powerful tools in changing the world. I, I've worked many, many years. I'd like to be on the beach reading a trashy novel and eating vegan bonbons. <laughs> We're doing this because we have to do it. What I would urge everybody to do is, if you're not vegan, obviously, go vegan. It's it's an adventure, it's not a sacrifice. Just like I thought when I got sober, I never sing again, I'll never go to a party again. I'll never make a fool of myself again and I make a fool of myself every day with regularity and now <laughs> I remember it. Um, <laughs> it's the same thing with going vegan. You're gonna have great times in the kitchen, There's so much versatility and variety. You don't have to make the same thing over and over again. So if you're not vegan, go plant-based. And if you're already vegan, become an activist. We need you. You know, we have momentum right now, but you know the swing of the pendulum. It's going to go one way, and then there's going to be pushback. So if all of us, if every single vegan was, for example, taking a photo of every vegan meal, a pretty photo and posting it right there, we would probably hit the tipping point tomorrow, okay? Somebody else said, if we all just stopped drinking alcohol and took all the money we spent on alcohol and put it right into activism, donating it to our favorite animal rights organizations, we would hit the tipping point tomorrow. So I would say that use your phone. Everybody wants to see this content on television. A, the young people aren't even watching television. I had a young activist staying here with me for two months And I would try to get her to watch television. I'd say, come here, something really big's happening. Didn't, was not interested at all. Mm. Just on the computer, on the phone. I would also say brand yourself. One of the things that I would love to do is go to VegFest and speak. And then toward the end, say, you all need to have a brand. This is the world we're living in. I didn't make it up, but it's better if you have a brand. So Earthling Ed. He's an incredible speaker, but it also helps that he's Earthling Ed, right? Donna, she, I was, she was being very snarky one day, and I said, you're that snarky vegan girl. She goes, yeah, I am that snarky vegan girl. As Soon as she started calling herself that snarky vegan girl, her Instagram following went way up, and people even started commenting on lives. We're snarky. We're snarky. So people should brand themselves like a stage name, essentially. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so I'm Jane Unchained. It just it allows them when they're on social media to be memorable, to be more memorable. And well, I'm 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 hope for the animals. There you go, now, so. hope for the animals. <laughs> exactly, your hope because honestly, I've known you for quite a while now. I don't know how to spell your last name, but I could get to hope for the animals really quickly. Right. right. <laughs> so, I'd say brand yourself. Have fun
0: with it. So Jane, we are going to have to wrap it up soon and I just I want to ask what do you see a post-pandemic vegan world looking like? What what gives you hope?
1: Well, I feel like we are going to hit the tipping point. I think they say something like 3.5% of the population when that vegan tipping point is hit then the society changes. I think that the Pandemic has accelerated that change. We know that plant based meats are skyrocketing. We know that plant based products in general are skyrocketing. So I feel that it's going to flip already in some restaurants I go to in LA. Uh, you see that it's mostly vegan, but it, they don't say they're vegan. Maybe they don't even know that they're a vegan restaurant, right? Juice bars <laughs> and places like that. They're just naturally eliminating uh, the meat. Mm. I saw a TV commercial the other day for a product. And it was all promoting vegetables in an easy to grab uh, container, and I thought, "Oh my God, they don't even know they're a vegan product," you know. <laughs> um, and so that's what, as we see that the powers that be start to really, you know, with this pandemic being a zoonotic disease, and and the evidence is mounting, so you'd have to really, really be in willful denial not to see how how terrible animal agriculture is. I think that the shift is going to occur. And I just urge everybody, do everything you can every day. The other thing I'd say is stop worrying about the three or four, I would call the militant meat eaters that we are all, we all have our three or four that we have resentments against that we want to change. Take all that energy, let them go. They're on their journey and put it to some low hanging fruit. People who are interested, people who are veg curious, don't waste your time with people who are completely shut down and won't listen. Uh, Go to people who express interest and also use social media. Use social media.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. Well, and you are, and you're doing a fantastic job using social media uh, to change this world. So I'm so grateful that you were able to join us today. Thank you so much, Jane. You're an inspiration and I'm just so glad you're out there fighting the good fight for animals. And you too, Hope. So- Let's do it together. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to the Hope for the Animals podcast. I'll be sure to include links to Jane's work in the show notes. So go and check out her movies and cooking shows and all that Jane Unchained offers. I'll have links in the show notes. So check that out. I really hope this podcast was an inspiration to you and moves you to take action for animals, for the climate, for the planet. And I hope that it moves you to help create a meaningful vegan world.